0: Find out why talks to Maria Ditskovska, lecturer at the European Humanities University in Lithuania with a research focus on post-truth practices in political communication. The discussion that follows explores, among others, the reason why media literacy initiatives tend to touch usually a small part of the society... Although
1: there are really good initiatives taking place, uh, such as uh, media literacy campaigns and uh, other awareness campaigns, the issue with them is that to participate in those, you have to be interested in the subject
0: matter in the first place. What can be misleading with the term propaganda in the context of digital disinformation campaigns? When we're talking about propaganda, it's uh, something that is out of, you know, Cold War
1: or 20th century concept. The different tools and the different approaches to disinformation have evolved to also
0: include much more fine-tuned and much more elaborate uh, processes. And how post-truth practices played out online during the pandemic?
1: We see more people spreading um, theoretically incorrect uh, information or more conspiracy theories without necessarily acknowledging that they are acting as agents there. Mm
0: Since the rise of social media platforms, scholars often cite the term post truth in political communication. What does it mean in a nutshell? The presence
1: uh, of uh, multiple truths and not uh, just one uh, factual truth as we understood it previously justifies the existence of uh, different narratives and different understanding of the same situation from different sides. It's used as a psychological tool by the non-democratic governments or non-democratic actors to confuse their audiences. Audiences are often engaged with more emotional um, responses. Therefore, we can say that it's often people maybe with uh, less educational background or with more close communities who are more exposed to those practices.
0: How the concepts of misinformation and disinformation fit in this Post-truth context. Oftentimes,
1: uh, what we see is misinformation, and misinformation is uh, done actually unknowingly by the people. In Russian, there is a big term "useful idiot," uh, when uh, people uh, spread uh, disinformation or articles, especially on social media, and uh, therefore uh, they are acting as the agents, but they aren't contributing in. Uh, Deliberate manner in those situations.
0: What happens once the person realizes that they have just contributed to spreading the lie? They usually don't realize
1: unless they are explicitly trying to gather new information or to get other points of view. They exist in their own bubble, ideologically or politically. And uh, they think that they do a good thing by sharing uh, an article with their network. But in reality, they are acting as a useful idiot.
0: And this is the reason why false news are becoming viral. Do you think that big tech companies do enough to prevent it from happening at their platforms?
1: Although there is, uh, there are quite a few disclaimers, for example, on misinformation in the certain Um sort of uh, areas of social media, as we see right now, for example, with automatic detection of the word COVID or vaccinations, a lot of this happening in uh, maybe English-speaking sphere. And when it comes to other communities, there isn't uh, as good of integrated tools maybe on those platforms to really capture those uh,
0: issues. Can you speak a little bit about the changes that you want to see in the research of this field?
1: Uh, and with regards to that, I'm uh, also participating in a, in a think tank, actually, that works on disinformation in Baltic states and Poland. And uh, it's something we've discussed quite a few times. But unfortunately, I think no one has uh, the exactly precise answer to the question And although there are really good initiatives taking place, uh, such as uh, media literacy campaigns, uh, there are different, um, even um, interactive uh, games uh, or uh, tests and uh, other awareness campaigns that take place. The issue with them is that to participate in those, you have to be interested in the subject matter in the first place. If you start questioning yourself, it might be the case that you already took the first step. And therefore, I think one of the biggest problems are actually the people who don't question themselves, who don't question their sources, who don't listen to maybe alternative points of view.
0: A common view regarding disinformation, the intentional spread of lies, is the concept of propaganda. And in your work, you've identified this term as problematic uh, with regards to digital information ecosystem. Why is that?
1: I think the problem with the term of propaganda is uh, all those historical contexts that can be attached to it. When we're talking about propaganda, it's uh, something that is out of, you know, Cold War or 20th century concept. And it's also understood by something much more in your face and uh, often distributed by the official media. And I think today we can see the evolution uh, in terms of the access to different information. But uh, also because of this evolution, we can say that uh, the different tools and the different approaches to disinformation have evolved to also include much more fine-tuned and much more elaborate uh, processes that we can observe happening uh, with regards to that. So propaganda, in a way, I think outlived its usefulness. I think it
0: represents the evolution of our society. Speaking about the evolution of our society, how the post-truth practices played out online during the pandemic? Let us talk about that a little bit.
1: I think uh, post-truth pandemic, I think it's, uh, well, pandemics in general, it's not something I think many of us are familiar with Uh, before, you know, two thousand. uh, nineteen or twenty twenty. And uh, therefore, it also provided us with a massive challenge in terms of our uh, government's administration, in terms of um, you know government response and the medical response. And I think because of that, it also provided uh, a fertile soil for a lot of the conspiracies and a lot of the alternative um, explanations that are brewing in our daily life, uh, in terms of the media we consume. In terms of the uh, COVID, we can say that uh, oftentimes uh, there is more misinformation happening rather than disinformation happening in uh, uh, most of the media that we consume. We see more people, as I say, acting as useful idiots and spreading um, theoretically incorrect uh, information or more conspiracy theories without necessarily acknowledging that they are acting as agents there as opposed to actually uh, explicit disinformation uh, where disinformation is actually a deliberate act of um, spreading this this, uh, sort of information. I think possibly more of something that uh, I'm familiar with is an interesting case uh, of the vaccine um, criticisms that uh, came uh, from Russian state media who uh, crafted a very elaborate and very complex uh, media campaign to discredit uh, Western vaccines, such as uh, especially Pfizer, but uh, also AstraZeneca and Moderna. We see that uh, a lot of the narratives also transferred into the hesitancy towards the Russian vaccine. And therefore, we can say that uh, although... Sort of this uh, campaign was uh, created as a deliberate disinformation attempt. To a certain extent, uh, also the uh, people uh, or the general population of Russia also acted as misinformation agents there in the way of also promoting this hesitancy that uh, created a massive um, issue for the government right now.
0: Can you talk more about instances where there was a backfire of the disinformation attempts by state actors? What have you seen uh, at your research?
1: Uh, what I find uh, potentially quite interesting is like the, the current foreign agent laws that are happening in Russia, we are not living in the age where you can fully control the media space around you. And for a lot of the people also having uh, their sort of potential media access uh, restricted, it encourages the curiosity. I think even looking at what happened in Belarus, uh, just after the elections, for three or four days, there was a complete internet shutdown in the country. So basically, there was no access to the internet. uh, Besides access through VPN and Tor, people on one hand tried uh, to get access to the information and they were exposed to an enormous amount of it. And on the other hand, um, also inadvertently, they've started organizing themselves locally. Uh, They were willing to show solidarity with others and to help others out. What was the platform they were mainly using to organize themselves? The platform is Telegram. It's also an interesting symbiotic relationship between potentially what happened um, in Belarus and uh, the platform itself. Because uh, seeing a lot of the government steps maybe to de-anonymize people uh, who are using the platform, the platform itself also took additional steps to make people safer there.
0: As a lecturer at the European Humanities University, your research interest is focused around your recent project. Can you maybe talk more about it for our audience here?
1: One of the projects I did lately was focusing on the presentation of the Belarusian protests in Russian media. And uh, for that, I was actually analyzing uh, three different uh, groups of media in Russia, pro-Kremlin or state media broadly, as well as independent media and uh, Western media, Deutsche Welle or Euronews or BBC News. I was mainly interested in how... Uh, the same protests in Belarus were presented differently in the different types of media. It was a very detached representation of the protests in the Russian state media. I've observed a lot of the narratives uh, connected um, to very sort of stately, very legislative approach to the problem, and at the same time, the independent media might have been slightly more emotional, focusing a lot uh, on the violence. And it was oftentimes also delivering some or more like personal stories uh, or giving the face to the protest. And therefore, on one hand, uh, you can say that it's uh, using more of an emotional response from their readers. At the same time, it's actually sort of the opposite effect uh, from dehumanizing and giving a very detached representation of things. And I think in that way, it's very interesting, uh, potentially also the psychological implications for different representation of um, events uh, in different types of media.
0: This was Maria Ditskovska, a lecturer at the European Humanities University in Lithuania, and I'm Elena Giolla for Find Out Why.